Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Krita, your host. Thank you for tuning in with us again today. It's very good to be around the table or wherever we find yourself to look into the Bible and to be enriched with the words of wisdom from the Bible. I would like to welcome you all. Today I would like to welcome my panel, which is formed by um, seven people today which is the perfect number. Really good to have you all um, on. I will say welcome to Will. We missed you, Will, for a while, but during the coronavirus thing. But thank you for joining us via Zoom. It's good not to be absent anymore. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Ken, also for being able to join us. Thank you, Nick. Always a pleasure to be here. Raelija, it's good to have you with us also. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And Helen, on the other side... Good to have you with us again today. Great to be here. Thank you. Len is also joining us and uh, happy to have you, Len. Thank you for the welcome and hello, listeners. And today, Brenton is going to take care of this study. Brenton, welcome to the program. Thank you, uh, Nick. Uh, Looking forward to sharing God's word with our listeners again today. All right. So I would like to just hand it over to you, Brenton, and take us through, please. Thank you. It would be fair to say that um, one of the reasons why there are so many religions in the world may have something to do with private interpretation of scripture. That would certainly be part of it. I'm reminded of the Protestant Reformation and their key beliefs, sola scriptura, the Bible only, sola fidei, by faith alone, and sola gratia, by grace alone. These were the uh, lampposts or the key fundamentals of the Protestant Reformation. I believe in 2020 we need to understand these and follow them more than we've ever followed them before. One of the important things that we're going to look at today in our study, I believe, is how did Jesus treat Scripture? Because after all, if we claim to be followers of Jesus, surely uh, how Jesus treated Scripture... What emphasis did he place on it is the most important thing. So if we're looking at how to interpret scripture, surely looking at how the one who was actually responsible not only for scripture, but in many cases was quoted in scripture, they're the things that we actually need to be uh, focusing on in our study. I'm going to just read you a quote which challenged me. The miracles of Christ are a proof of his divinity. But a stronger proof that he is the world's redeemer is found in comparing the prophecies of the Old Testament and the history of the new. Ken, I wondered if you could offer prayer for us as we proceed. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to come together to study your word and share it through the radio. We pray for all those that hear these words may search the Bible to find truth and hope and everlasting life. We ask this, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite our panel to turn to Matthew 7.29 and also Mark 1.22 as a preface to our study of the word. What we're doing here is showing the difference between the way Christ presented the word. And, of course, we all know that when Christ was alive, all they had was the Old Testament. So the way Christ presented the Bible as he then had it, and by way of comparison, 
how the scribes and the Pharisees did it. So I wondered if, um, let's see, Len, could you read Matthew 7.29? And Helen, could you read Mark 1.22 for us, please? I'll just uh, go back to verse 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. Panel, what comment can you make about that? What would this suggest is the way that the scribes and Pharisees were teaching? The verse says that Jesus taught as one who had authority. Now, one has to extrapolate from that, that the scribes and Pharisees, when they taught, were saying, well, it could be this, it could be that, it could be the other thing. But Jesus didn't muck around. He said, this is the way to eternal life. This is what you should do, and so on. Okay, any other comments on that one? Helen, you've got your hand up. The teachers of the religious law, they often cited traditions and they quoted authorities to support their arguments and their interpretations. But Jesus spoke with a new authority, one they had not heard before. It was his own because he was the original word, as John 1.1 tells us. Mm, Helen, could you read your text at this point in time? Mark one twenty-two. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Mm. What effect do you think that uh, this type of teaching would have had on them compared with the type of teaching that they had been used to? Any comments, panel, on that one? I think that we've all experienced uh, long talks about the Bible and uh, heard very little Bible quoted. You know, you can spend an hour talking around the Bible, interjecting all sorts of personal opinions and outside writings. Jesus, when he spoke, his messages were perfect, were uh, surrounded in Bible quotations. Thank you, Will. Um, Any other comments? Ken, what what do you think about this? What I find very interesting about this is that the people, probably the majority of them at the time, were probably well-versed in what the scribes and Pharisees had to say for many, many years. And then all of a sudden we have this person comes along and he's preaching. But what he's saying, the words are... They're alive. They're not just words that are written down in parchment. The words go straight to people's heart. It's like a light goes on in their heart. And all of a sudden, they can see a complete different story from what they've been hearing. Ken, I think that's a very, very perceptive comment. Because you can read the Word of God and it can just read like a novel. Or you can read the Word of God and you can actually see Jesus in it. We read a number of times in the Bible when Jesus was talking to the people, and I'm going to pick a verse out in Matthew 5, verse 21. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder. And then he goes on to explain further. And the people were there listening with their mouths agape. Yes. Because here was Jesus giving fresh life or fresh meaning to something which had been known for hundreds of years. So Jesus never counteracted or contradicted any scripture whatsoever, but he did add to the scriptures. The scriptures remained firm, but Jesus just added stuff. 
Would it be fair to say, uh, Len, that what Ken said is true? The scriptures came alive for them. I believe one of the things that they would have noticed that was different was because Jesus knew scripture. He knew exactly what the scripture said and meant, whereas the teachers that they had often quoted the rabbis and the rabbis really didn't understand scripture. So Jesus was the ultimate authority. Sometimes the Bible is crowded out in the thinking of, uh, of the people. The Bible, uh, I've found a little statement which I'd like to share with you. Let the word of God speak to the heart. Let those who have heard only of tradition and human theories and maxims hear rather the voice of him who can renew the soul unto eternal life. Everything else crowded out or elbowed out and the focus on the word of God only. That's the way Jesus taught. Well, I believe that is, uh, that is really true. And I would um, just take half a minute to share my personal testimony this morning. That's what I tried to do. To crowd, to ask God to crowd everything else out so that I could just hear his voice speaking to me, Brenton Wilkinson, in the word of God. And I believe if each of us do this, we will have an entirely different religious experience. I think that the authoritative words of Jesus were convincing and alive in people's hearts because Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. And as he knew the scriptures, the Holy Spirit worked in his words to touch people's hearts. And because yes. of that, he, their words were so captivating. They were so convincing and came alive into people's hearts. This is an expression of the scene that has to take place in our hearts also as we read the Bible. Thank you, Lydia. Nick, did you yes. have a comment? Mm. I was thinking a little bit also on a different uh, aspect. That's fine, Nick. Yeah, interesting that over the years, during the history of humanity, humans' tendency is to, was to, and is, I believe, to adapt the words of God, the Bible, to their uh, situation, to their culture, to their, uh, what they like to get out of it. But Jesus said in, uh, you know, his words were, but my kingdom is not from this world. You know, Jesus was coming to reveal truly God's word and the meaning of those words and the intention of those things, not only to please people in that time he was living on earth. And unfortunately today, many of the scripture scholars, you know, and the teachers, they are trying to make uh, applications, too, too many, too much application of the word of God for this time, rather than to allow the living word, it's called the living word of God, to make his way in people's life and to change and to prepare the people to meet God. I think this is a very, very obvious situation. Uh, Nick, I think that's a very perceptive comment. Uh, sometimes you can over-spiritualize that which in Scripture is comparatively plain. You can sometimes draw out too many lessons rather than seeing it as it is. Len, you had a comment for us. Well, coming back to the uh, Pharisees and teachers of the law as compared to Jesus, as I understand it, for someone to be a Pharisee, you had to learn 
memorize that is large portions of the scripture. Yes. It would be all the first five books of the Bible, probably the Psalms, mm-hmm. probably some of the, uh, the prophets. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a difference between learning and being able to repeat it like a parrot yes. than actually explaining it. And I feel that in this particular instance, that Jesus was able to explain it where the Pharisees, they knew it, but they didn't know it to the point where they understood very well. Would it be fair to say, panel, do you think that it is possible to read the word of God, but it doesn't actually make any difference to your life? When it changes your life, you suddenly see the scripture in a whole different dimension. Would that be a fair comment? We learned and we talked about a couple of weeks ago, a bit more in detail about the difference in between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. Thank you, Nick. That could be very, you know, important to, again, to revise that thing because it's so easy to just open the Bible and say, this is what the Bible says. And if you don't apply, and what Jesus was showing and teaching, also the spirit of the law. And that's why when, uh, Len, you said, uh, you heard from the world saying this and that, but I tell you, You know, and he makes reference to the spirit of the law, to the application, to the everyday experience. Um, That's a good comment. Ken, you had a comment for us? Yeah, I I think Nick raised, uh, made a really interesting comment a few moments ago, and that was that Jesus said that his kingdom was not of this world. He was giving information and standards of the kingdom to come, and the people seemed to, or many of the people recognized this sounded really good. And I think that's why they paid more attention to it, perhaps. There's one uh, comment that I feel that we could share together in regard to Matthew 5. Len, I think you quoted that earlier on about verse 19 and 20, where he said, It has been said, but I say unto you, if you study the Beatitudes and Christ's explanation of them, you'll realize that what he's asking them to do is impossible. He's saying if you look at a woman to lust after her, you've already committed adultery. If you're angry with your brother in your heart, you've already murdered him. And um, people hearing this must have wondered what was going on. What he's trying to teach them is that without him, without coming to him, they are utterly unable to obey any of these things. Helen, you touched on a very good point when you said earlier on what was the role of the scribes? They were to expound the scriptures and apply them, weren't they, to individual life situations. But it seems as though they fell short. I'm going to ask you to turn to 2 Corinthians 3, verses 10 to 16. When I read this, I went, wow, this is, <laughs> this is really powerful stuff. 2 Corinthians 3. Helen, could you start at verse 12 for us, please? says, since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened, and to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today, when they read Moses' writing, their writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments and his face was glowing from being in God's presence. 
Moses had to put a veil on his face to keep the people from being terrified by the brightness of his face and from seeing the radiance gradually fade away. The veil, I believe, illustrates the fading of the old system and the veiling of the people's minds because of their pride, hardness of heart and refusal to repent. The veil kept them from understanding references to Christ in the scriptures. And when anyone becomes a Christian, the veil is taken away, as we've just read in, in chapter 316, giving eternal life, freedom from bondage. That person can then be like a mirror reflecting God's glory. Helen, that's, uh, I, I really appreciate that comment. Panel, does anyone else have a comment? Len, you've got your hand up. When a person does not know Christ... It's like they, their life is in a dark place. They might have lots of knowledge, but they, they are in a dark place, almost like they have a bag over their heads yes. or a veil, if you like. But when you discover Christ, that veil is lifted. You, you see the light, and it's a wonderful thing. Now, I think referring back to the, um, the Israelites, that they refused to receive Christ. And that's why Paul could say, look, you've had a veil over your faces. As soon as you receive Christ, the veil is taken away. You're in the light. How I understand this, it's a little bit what Helen was saying, that people of Israel, they asked Moses to go himself, listen to God's words, because they were afraid. You know, they didn't want to be exposed. And when Moses came back and that with the glowing face, as uh, you mentioned, Helen, he had to put a veil on. Now, many times I heard this from people when I start to share the gospel with them, say, don't tell me about those things because I don't want to, to know about and then be being accountable of the things. Now, to make a parallel here, probably we in our sinful nature, we don't want that veil to be taken off. We wanted to be there, you know, not to be exposed to the reality and the truth of the Bible. And it could be a very subconscious attitude of ourselves. Yes, Nick, that's a good comment. Helen, you've got um, a comment too. Based on a word that Len said, being in darkness, there are cases, of course, where people like, like Nick was saying, you know, they don't want to change their life. So they have that veil. But I'd just like to share a personal experience, mm. if I may, of having my eyes open. A study, I was a student of the Bible, but I found myself in a very dark place at one stage of my life, and it was so dark that I just didn't know which way to turn. And I remember that the preacher, and some of you might have heard my testimony, the preacher said at one of the meetings we had for week of prayer, he said, I want you to pick out a text in scripture, read it, ask God first to enlighten you and what it means to you and, um, you know, and then read it and then wait. And so I went home that night and I read about the man that was sick with the palsy and, you know, how God, the Lord said, you know, rise, take up your bed and walk. Now that's a very, very simple um, reading and yet I had a veil over my mind uh, literally a veil over my face because even though I know now what it all means and I knew then but for some reason I didn't understand why I was reading it and um, I, I waited and I didn't know whether I thought bells and whistles were going to happen or what. The next morning I went back to the next meeting and the, and the speaker said again, use the same text if you haven't had an answer. So I did that. 
that night the same thing I did that well that night I was at the lowest ebb of my life I lay in bed and I was wondering to myself well you know I don't know what this passage means for me and I was trying actually my mind was so down and so veiled that I would think of committing suicide that's how dark it was for me and I remember looking at the wall and I was awake and it was it was like words were in fire in front of me it was like the veil was removed and and Jesus was saying to me Helen do you want to be made whole trust me and and I was just the brightness of what I saw just entered my mind and my whole being and that changed my whole life and that's what Christ does when he comes in Mm. Yeah, that's that's a wonderful testimony. Thank you, Helen. Lydia, I believe you had a comment for us. Yes, I understand this. Even if a person is a Christian and follows God, but lives, for example, a double life or a divided life with God, and his face is veiled, as it says here, a veil has is over his face it means he is not in a close relationship with god and he is driven by a little bit of arrogance and a little bit of pride and conceit or self-sufficient abilities and etc etc it means that a veil is over our face if the person is in in this state So verse 16 says, But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So, reflecting God's glory, it means that veil is already taken away from our faces. So, no sin has any root in our hearts and minds. So, we are free of sin, free of sinning. Mm. Yeah, just, uh, Brenton, before you move on, uh, what Lydia was just saying reminds me again the state of the Pharisees because we are talking about the Pharisees. And, you know, we, uh, Jesus again pointed out that uh, you, you think one thing and say another. Yeah. Uh, and that's why you keep the veil on because you're not reflecting uh, Jesus Christ. And that's probably um, very important for us Christians Uh, We may call ourselves Christians, but if we don't reflect the life of Jesus, if we are not a living testimony, as the Bible puts it, then we we may have that veil on, even not realizing. We should really see, because the Bible says, by their fruits you'll know them, uh, if they are following, uh, you know, Jesus. Yeah, good point. I wonder if someone, uh, Len, could you read John three nineteen to 21 for us, please? That summarises this section, I, I believe. We've all talked about the veil and why the veil and how the veil sometimes comes. And Helen has shared with us how the veil was lifted for her. But Jesus himself said the reason why there is a veil 
is because of what he states in these three verses that Len's about to read for us. John 3, 19 to 21. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. You think that sums it up pretty well then? I think so. This is um, a biblical uh, evidence for what I was saying earlier. Yes. A, a person who's in darkness, and also what Nick was saying, some people just don't like the truth to come out because they want to live doing their stuff. What, what the light of the world is, Jesus and the Bible, the Bible reveals who we really are. And uh, when you study the Bible and you realise who you really are, it's not a pretty picture. <laughs> what it does is it actually should, what it should do is it can do one of two things. It can make you so discouraged that you throw religion and God out the window completely, or it can help you to turn to God and say, Lord, I can't do it. I'm, I'm a mess. I really need you to change me from the inside out, not the outside in. I think the problem with the Pharisees is it was all about the outside where the inside hadn't actually been changed at all. Yeah. I think that uh, talking about the veil, I think of the scales that fell off uh, the Apostle Paul's eyes. I think that our sinful natures and the clutter of culture uh, have severely limited us from hearing the voice of God and um, and dimmed our hearing of um, or seeing him in, in reality. Yeah. Mm. Christ, I believe, uh, saw the scriptures as totally authoritative, but we're going to look at a section now where Jesus reveals himself in scripture. We're going to turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 24. In a previous um, Bible study, Fem, I believe we have touched briefly on this, and some of us have suggested, myself included, that... Um, if there was a Bible study in the Bible I would have wanted to be involved in, it would have been this one. So let's have a look at it in a little more detail. Uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 27, and Luke 24, verse 44 and 45. I wonder, uh, Helen, could you read Luke 24:27? And Ken, would you read Luke 24, 44 and 45 for us, please? Right. From the New Living Translation, it says, And Jesus said to them, You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? And 27 says, Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Wouldn't you love to have been there? I just want to say quickly, you know, I've um, run into people who claim that the Old Testament is of no value except that it's a collection of stories with moralistic overtones. Yeah. But Jesus never thought that. Jesus began, uh, he taught from the scriptures, which was from the writings of Moses, the Psalms, Proverbs, uh, the history of Israel, the prophets 
Jesus taught from all that. So that argument that the uh, Old Testament is a waste of time is totally irrelevant in light of this text. Thank you, Len. Any other comments? Ken, what do do you think about all of this? Wouldn't you like to have been there? (laughs) Yes, I think, I mean, it's interesting for us to, to look back. It's very easy to think, oh, well, if we were there, we would have done X, Y, and Z. I think human nature being what it is, we may just have been as bad as the rest of them. Yes, I think that's quite possible. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you wanted me to read uh, verse 44 and 45, is that correct? Yes, if you read verse 44 and 45, then uh, Will has got a comment for us. Thanks, Will. Okay, I'm reading from the uh, King James Bible. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was with you, and all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Ah, I think that last bit, Ken, is the most important bit. Then he opened their understanding. So that Yes, so that, that's so true. It's very easy to, to read something. It's, it's like sometimes you're perhaps reading some sort of workshop manual and the uh, the people who wrote it are obviously engineers or very clever people. But for the uninitiated, sometimes it doesn't quite make sense. But if somebody's there to explain it to you, then it's a whole different kettle yeah. of fish, as I say. Yeah, yeah. thank you, Ken. Uh, Will? It's hard for us to understand how people could have walked three and a half years with Christ, uh, talking about his disciples now, his immediate disciples as well as those others that uh, had heard his teaching, could be totally oblivious to the fact that he was going to be resurrected, for example, the third day. And they are so surprised to hear that he is resurrected, and some of them don't even believe that he is resurrected. It's, uh, how, how is this possible? Um, I read a little statement which I'd like to share. He opened their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures, how quickly he straightened out the tangled ends and showed the unity and divine verity of the scriptures. How much men in these times need their understanding opened. We can criticize them, as you've said, Ken, but, uh, man, we walk with veils over our face and uh, scales on our eyes, don't we? I was like, well, I was wondering how come, you know, they were with him three and a half years. But then when you look into the life that they they were in at the time and the context, there was a, a view of what the Messiah was going to be that they had misconstrued. They thought he came to overtake the parents that were in, in uh, the government and free them. And that had a big thing to do in their in their beliefs, you know, the culture of the, the actual time so that when he died I would assume that some of that came to the fore well you know we thought this of him but it didn't and then when he was risen it was such a shock to them. Yes Helen I believe that's right if we were to have gone back and had a look at the verses immediately prior to what you read you'll find that they end their comments to Christ by saying we trusted that it had been he who would redeem Israel. Now, yes. their understanding of redeeming Israel was not redeeming from sin. Their no. understanding of redeeming Israel was breaking the power of the Romans and yes. elevating them to what they believed was their rightful position amongst the nations. 
Uh, Lydia, I believe you had a comment for us as well. How much I wish to have Jesus with us now in our days, talking to us face to face and explaining to us the scriptures to understand. But we have the Holy Spirit send it to us if we ask for the Holy Spirit to come into our minds and hearts to impress his truth upon, upon our hearts. So by the Spirit of truth, working through the Word of God, the Christ subdues his chosen people to himself. And the Holy Spirit should never be understood to replace the Word of God. The Holy Spirit works in harmony with and through the Bible to draw us to Christ and uh, uh, making the Bible the only norm of uh, authentic biblical spirituality. So we have the Holy Spirit who who revealed the truth and inspired Bible writers to write the Bible. So we have to ask for the Holy Spirit to teach us to understand His Word. Yes, that's that's a good point, Lydia. You're just talking about the disciples and being with Jesus and still... Uh, not understanding uh, some of the important things. But let's be all, uh, just fair uh, with them. They were the ones who recognized Jesus. Mm-hmm. When Jesus asked Peter, uh, who do you think that I am? You know, or what people think that I am? Peter was about to say, you are the son of God. And Jesus replied that, yeah, not the flesh revealed that to you, but the Holy Spirit. That's, That's right. very important to keep in mind. They were under that pressure of the context of history in which they uh, they were living, and we refer to that. And even for us today, we are so tempted to make some application of the Bible and interpretation of the Bible in accordance with the history in which we live, with the time in which we live. But let's don't forget that. The word of God is the same. Is the same, you know, for people in the like few thousand years ago, and for us today is the same. The only difference is to be able to really interpret that word of God in a real way. And probably that was the the, the problem with the disciples at that time. And that's that was Jesus' role as their master and teacher to explain, to bring it into light, that word which they were under the, the, the veil for so long with their teachers, with the earthly teachers. And that's why I believe to not be trapped in the earthly teachings and teachers. They may be very eloquent teachers, but still not understanding God's plan and will for us. Yes, that's a, that's a good point, Nick. There are a couple of texts, folk, before we move on. John 16, verse 25 and 29. What uh, Ken read to us, thank you, Ken, for reading it. In verse 45 of Luke 24, it says, he opened the scriptures and explained them to the disciples. But here in John 16, 25, this is taking place before the crucifixion, before the resurrection. And um, there's some interesting comments made here. John 16, verse 25 and verse 29. I wonder, Len, could you read those two verses for us, please? 
John 16, verse 25. Yeah, Lydia touched on the fact that we need the Holy Spirit, and boy, do we ever need the Holy Spirit to reveal. But notice what Jesus says here and the response of the disciples. I find this particularly interesting, as well as a bit puzzling. Okay, John 16, 25. Yes. Jesus speaking. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. So do you want to go to 29? Yes. If you feel it's relevant to read the other verses, do so. Well, I know how much is involved in this study, so I'll skip. <laughs> and I'll go to the 29. Thank you. And this is a response by the disciples. Yes. And Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. I'll read the next verse. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Now, can I tie this in with another verse? Because I believe it needs to be tied in. From uh, John chapter 5, verse 39, where Jesus is speaking to the Jewish leadership. And he said, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. And then he goes on to say, these are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You know, the scriptures, the Bible can't save you. And keeping the law can't save you. It's the one that the scriptures were teaching about. Jesus, he can save you. And the Jews missed the point. It's like a treasure map. If you miss the vital thing, if you you, uh, don't have, say, a compass point on there, you'll go wrong. But Jesus is saying, yes, it's good to study the scriptures. That's fine. But you have to find me in the scriptures because I am the one who gives you eternal life. Len, that is a very good comment. Um, It also need be said that um, I think it was the Rabbi Hillel who stated that that understanding and memorising the Torah, which is the law, which the Jews had as their Old Testament, one who appropriates for himself, I think these are his words, to himself the Torah, has the entrance to the kingdom of heaven. In other words, they believe that intellectual knowledge, being able to recite the Torah, being able to understand the Torah, were the keys to eternal life. Jesus is saying, wrong, wrong, wrong. These scriptures point to me, and he's really saying, you haven't got life, and you'll never have life until you actually come to me, because I am life. It's interesting when you look at it, the religious leaders, they knew what the Bible said, but they failed to apply its words to their lives. And there are many people like that today. They knew the teachings of scriptures, but they failed to see the Messiah to whom the scriptures pointed. They knew the rules, but they missed the Saviour. And they were entrenched in their own religious system. They refused to let the Son of God change their lives. I think there's a lesson here for all of us not to become so involved in religion that you need Christ. I think on that point, uh, Brenton, uh, I'd like to read, in your study of the word, lay at the door of investigation your preconceived opinions and your hereditary and cultivated ideas. You will never reach the truth if you study the scriptures to vindicate your own ideas. Leave these at the door. With a contrite heart, go 
go and hear what the Lord has to say to you. Well, that's a very good thing. How many of us, and we haven't got time due to the, due to, um, our, the brevity of our Bible study today, but I wonder how many of us have actually read a text over and over and over and over again and keep saying to ourselves, we know that, we know that. And then one day we sit down, all else is put aside. We just ask for the Holy Spirit. We say, Lord, take away my preconceived ideas, uh, my prejudices and biases. Reveal to me what is this word saying to me. All of a sudden you find new things in an old text that you never knew were there before. Is that a fair comment? Yes, it is, and that's occurred with me. All right, moving on. Uh, We've touched on briefly the role of the Holy Spirit. Not that the Holy Spirit is not important, because in John 16, 13, it talks about the role of the Holy Spirit. It says that he would reveal Jesus. The question that I had, and I don't know due to time factor that we're going to be able to look at it closely, if Jesus revealed God to us, and the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to us, can you see all three members of the Godhead working together for our salvation? God the Father sends his Son to this earth to die for our sins. He does that. He rises again. He goes back to heaven. He's now interceding in heaven for us. And the role of the Holy Spirit is to exalt the work of Jesus, to reveal to us everything in Scripture that Jesus said to us that we need to know. It's the Holy Spirit, really. I believe there's a statement, and I haven't got it written in my notes, but there's a statement that says we cannot resist the power of Satan only through the power of the third member of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, who will come with unmodified energy, I think is the term that is used. Some of you may have read that statement. Very, very important. All right, let's move on in in our study. Let's have a look at Paul. Now, the Apostle Paul was one, wouldn't it be fair to say, panel, who had the veil over his face for a while? What type of person was Paul? He was very zealous. Yes. He was very zealous. If he believed in something, he went for it, no questions. And while he was a Pharisee, he thought he was doing God's work by persecuting the Christians. That's because he never met Christ. When he met Christ, he totally changed and then he became zealous for the work of, of the Lord, not in persecuting Christians, but in, in preaching to them and um, being a missionary to bring people to the Lord. Thank you, Len. That's a very good summary of it. Let's have a look at Acts chapter 17. Amongst Paul's three missionary journeys, there was probably only one occasion where it seems to me that he tried to meet philosophy to some degree with philosophy. And Acts 17 is the story, and due to time factor, we can't go through it in depth. But Acts 17 talks about how he met the philosophers on Mars Hill. Now, I've actually been to Mars Hill. It's, it's not a, a particularly imposing hill or anything of that nature. In fact, I went past it, it had a sign on it saying Mars Hill, and I thought, well, okay. <laughs> um, here he is meeting with the so-called intelligentsia. Uh, of the day, where they used to sit and talk about all the latest ideas that were going around. And all of this was brought about because Paul went through Athens and found a statue to the unknown God. And so he proceeded to tell them about this unknown God, but 
when he got to the resurrection, they got quite narky, as we would say. But Acts 17, 26, I think, is an interesting thing because one of the things that our Bible study today um, touched on, and we haven't touched on it as yet, is the place of culture in all of things. But I wonder whether Acts 17, 26 answers this question for us uh, to a fair degree. Uh, I wonder, Ken, could you read Acts 17, 26 for us, please? And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. Okay, now what would that suggest to you? It suggests to me, basically, I believe that firstly God has made everything. Uh, He's in control and all men are equal. Thank you, Ken. Okay, any other comments? Helen? God made us all from one blood, was what I read through the week. You know, while we are culturally very diverse, biblically speaking, there is a common bond that unites all people, despite their cultural differences, and that's because God is the creator of humanity. You know, our sinfulness, our need of salvation is not limited to one culture. We all need the salvation offered to us by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we are all, there is no distinctions. We are all precious. No matter where we come from, no matter our culture, age, whatever, we are all one with Christ. Okay, Helen, taking that one step further, let's let's put it this way. If you or I were sent to, let's say, India to give the gospel of Jesus Christ, should it be any different from the gospel of Jesus Christ in Australia? or the gospel of Jesus Christ in Nigeria. Yes. Paul often changed his approach to fit, fit his audience, yes, which you did. may need to do if you go to India or someplace, but he never changed his basic message. Yeah. In other words, the message, the thrust was the same, even if the approach was different. Yes. Okay. Will? I lived in a country where there was uh, racial distrust and uh, disunity, prejudice, And um, one day somebody said to me, you know what, on the operating theatre, if you open up the heart, you'll see it's all the same (laughs) colour. And um, the tongue that uh, spreads the gospel, same colour, no matter Chinese, black, white, um, that tells me that God treats everyone the same. Thank you, Will. Len? Paul was talking to the thought leaders of the day. Was yes, and some of the philosophy that these people held is still around in the 21st century. But what he was saying here, you might have a philosophy about this, you might have a philosophy about that, particularly as it relates to life. But in reality, it doesn't matter. There's only one way you're going to be saved. If your philosophy is say that by doing thus and thus and thus you'll be favoured by the gods, that's not going to help you be saved eternally. It's only a philosophy. So he's pointing out that mankind is made from the one blood, from the one set of parents, and there's one way to salvation. And he outlines this later on in his speech. Uh, Nick and uh, Lydia. I do believe in this um, verse it says, so I'm going to read again, uh, Acts 17, verse 26. It says, he determined the time set for them. Yes. And the exact places where they should live. I do believe that in this is saying that God 
is setting our times of being born and die. And he also places us in the right place where should where we should live. And uh, if I read a little bit further, it says, For in him we live and move and have our beings. We are his offspring. So God is in control of everything, of every individual person. Thank you. Helen. There is a text in Galatians, which I feel covers it very well. It's Galatians 3, and I'm reading from verse 26. It starts off by saying, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. All who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's important to think about because back in the time of Christ, some of the Jewish males greeted each day by praying a prayer, Lord, I thank you, I'm not like, I am not a Gentile, a slave or a woman. They made these distinctions, but here Christ is saying, no, we are all one. It's a natural inclination to feel uncomfortable at times around people who are different from us and to gravitate toward people who are similar to us. But when we allow our differences to separate us from our fellow believers, we are actually disregarding clear biblical teaching. So we need personally to make a point to seek out and appreciate people who are maybe not just like us and our friends. You know, we might find that we have a lot in common with them. Helen, that's a very good observation. And um, what you read from uh, Galatians that was actually written by Paul under the influence of the Holy Spirit. I want you to just think about this for a brief moment before we move on. In order to make this statement, there was neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I think the rest of it is, isn't it? This shows me the depth of Paul's conversion. Paul was a Pharisee. He would have been one of the most bigoted and narrow-minded individuals around before Christ came into his heart and life. We know that from the way he treated the Christian church. So this reveals to you what Christ can do in a person when that person is fully surrendered to him. And he's really saying there are no longer any barriers. The barriers that we as Jews erected for so many hundreds of years have been abolished in Christ. I can see that clearly and I'm sharing it with you. I think that's a wonderful truth, don't you? Yeah, and Brenton, you talked about India before and I remember reading well, about... I use them as an example. <laughs> you know, well, I was just thinking, Mother Teresa, she actually said at one stage, some people said, how can you be down there on the ground with the people that are dirty and all the rest? And she said, I don't see them as a person. I see Jesus in them. Yes. I've just been watching a series recently on the Vietnam War and talked, uh, you know, and during the series it talked to many troops. And during this time in the American history, there was a, a huge vice between the blacks and the whites. But when the soldiers were all fighting in Vietnam, they all got on well within the same place and blacks and whites and Hispanics and, and everybody else that was fighting they all were as one until they came back home again. And then they went back to the way they were. So I think sometimes under stress, if we were in a situation where we needed somebody's help uh, urgently or whatever, I don't think we would care where they were from or what their background was. If they were there to help us, we'd be more than happy to accept. 
Thank you. Isn't it wonderful that, uh, that in Christ, everybody, every culture, every nationality can be brought together? There is a warning that I'd like to share with you as we conclude. I've made this comment. Our personal interpretation must never supersede the unity of scriptures. And I've uh, written down 2 Peter 3, 14 to 16. I wonder, Will, if you could read those verses for us. These are very, very revealing words. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless, and account that uh, the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written to you as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as uh, they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Uh, Things hard to be understood, I think, is the point here. Yes, it is. Um, But what else is is Peter saying here? Isn't he really elevating Paul's writings? as scripture. Scripture. Yes. Now, this is within the lifetime of both men. This is something for us to think about when we're off air. But uh, here he is elevating this, but he's saying there's a danger because they can't understand some things that Paul has written. They twist them this way and they twist them that way. And the end result is what? They lose eternal life. They rest them to their own destruction. Is there a warning for us in 2020, do you think? Nick? Quickly, I think we miss on a couple of points uh, on this study because we're talking about uh, the importance of interpretation of the Bible, you know, how important it is to interpret the Bible in the right way. A couple of things I'd like to quickly just mention. Even though Paul was experiencing a different life after the conversion, uh, he was not changing the gospel to suit the cultural uh, right. uh, thing. He was preaching the gospel. Another thing, with very great respect for people who are doing great things on this earth, still we should not be sidetracked by the good things of uh, what people can do on this earth, but still missing on the importance of the Bible. And with all the respect, Mother Teresa was still uplifting and worshipping Virgin Mary, for example, and some other things. I don't believe any good people on this earth can be a model for us. I was just saying the way that she saw people. Was I understood that. I understood. But that's what I'm trying to say, because the reason I'm raising up that, because people can be manipulated, if you like, and sidetracked by the good deeds of the people. And in for I will give you an example just to close with. We missed on, a little bit on the translations can impact uh, understanding of the Bible. That's why we are called to interpret. And we have in John chapter 1, verse 41, when uh, they... They find about Jesus. Come see, is not this not Messiah, which means Christ? You see, they interpret it in their language, but the same thing. There was, they were not a, a different thing. It was interpreted in their language, but still meant the same thing. And another, what about if we'll say that Jesus was uh, baptized and he went to, jo- to John into the water, or we'll say simply Jesus was baptized with water you know you can easily make an interpretation of that and say you know a couple of, of, of sprinklings of water will be enough for a baptism but the Bible says that Jesus went into the water that's what I'm saying people are developing 
all sorts of doctrines by misunderstanding and not giving the Bible the possibility to interpret itself. That's a good point, Nick. I think uh, Paul answers that in Romans 6, where he says we were buried with him in baptism. Correct. Burial does not denote sprinkling a couple of drops of water. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Thank you, folk, for your uh, participation today. Len, I wondered if you could close with prayer for us, please. Brother in heaven, um, we have a great privilege to have in our possession your holy word, the scriptures. Yes. But we also have a great responsibility, Lord, as we open those scriptures, that we don't try to read into them things that we've got preconceived, preconceived ideas, but we all read the scriptures with open hearts and with open minds. And when there are difficult things, that uh, we should try to find other verses that um, show light, shed light on the thing that we find difficult to understand. But also, Lord, we don't wish to shut the Holy Spirit out of our lives because he will reveal to us all truth. And I invite your blessings on all of the panel today and all of our listeners. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, everyone, for your participation. Good to have you with us today. And thank you for joining us, everyone on the radio. I wish you all God's blessings. And don't forget, the Bible, it's a treasure. It deserves a good amount of attention to be able to understand uh, and to um, uh, be relevant uh, for us in our life. I wish you that God will guide you, lead you, and direct you into the whole truth. Keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.